0: Motion pictures, films, movies, cinema. It goes by many names, but what it is never changes. The moments, the memories, the feelings, all working together in a symphony of beauty, tragedy, and style, never duplicated, but often replicated. If you are interested, if you have an idea, if you yearn to know more, look no further. Welcome to the Sled. Thank you. What's up, guys? We are back with another episode of The Sled. We are here to talk about...
1: Goodfellas.
0: I mean, it's a nicer term for gangster.
1: I mean... He's a good fella, you know. Good fella. He's a good fella. It's funny, funny though, that the book that Goodfellas is based on is called Wise Guys and not Goodfellas. I mean, I prefer the
2: term Goodfellas.
1: Yeah, Goodfellow made for a better term. But.
0: You just completely shadowed wise guys. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks Marty. Appreciate that.
1: I mean the same guy who wrote Wise Guys was the he helped Marty write uh Goodfellas is Nicholas Peleggy. Yeah. Yeah, the author, yeah. Okay. He wrote he wrote Casino too. Oh dang. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Marty likes to keep it in the family. Like he really does. He yeah. likes to play to his strength. He likes to keep keep people under his wing. Um yeah, I mean, what else can I say? He's
1: he builds empires, man. The guy's a genius.
0: Out of out of the same tile. But anyway. Um This was your pick, Mike?
1: Yeah. Why'd you pick it? Uh, I was born 8 years after Goodfellas opened in theaters to the day. Oh damn. Yeah. So, my birthday was last Saturday, the 19th of September. It was the 30th year of Good fellows, hey hey, so I thought I, I felt it was fitting. I was like, yeah we gotta we gotta talk about this movie, plus, we haven't brought up Marty yet, and I feel like we're doing him a disservice, not bringing him up because he is such an icon in the industry and just the world in general,
0: yeah, I mean it, like imagine winning over Marty, but still people clap for Marty, yeah, like, like <laughs> yeah. everybody. It's like this guy, com- or Bong Joon-ho, completely sweeps the, s- sweeps the Oscars,
1: but the only guy that gets a standing ovation is Marty. I <laughs> mean, I, he said it best, though, when he was like, there is no director that's not in the shadow of Martin Scorsese. Everyone was like, "Yup." No! Yeah, it's, it's a fair statement. It is a fair statement. I mean, but arguably, uh, before we get into it... Um, do you think the Goodfellas is his defining movie, or do you think Raging Bull is what really put him over the top? Ooh, what do you think, Titus? I mean, I'm gonna go with the easy pick, which I'm gonna
2: go with Goodfellas, just because I feel like it's such a culturally like I feel like I don't know such such uh, I don't know it's it's tough to put into words. It's just such like a defining movie. It's like just an easy movie to put like as like his. It his movie, you know, I don't know. It's and what really defines Martin like if I were to point to a movie that defines Martin Scorsese, I'd point to Goodfellas, I feel like.
0: See, the thing like I I'd agree because you have two different sides of of Scorsese that I've seen where they, they're they're like in duality with one another where you have this sort of like flourishing style, this this like uh, grandeur and um, just very flashy sort of uh, aesthetic, incom- and, and ju- just just storyline in general. And then you have like nitty gritty, like the dark underbelly of um, like metropolitan and and just
1: um. Oh, and like Taxi Driver, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. you have you have
0: that take. You have Taxi Driver. You have deer. Didn't he do Deer Hunter? No, he didn't
1: do Deer. No, any... Bob got, sorry, Mr. De Niro got the role in Deer Hunter because of Marty, but Marty didn't do Deer Hunter.
0: What I will say is just going from... Like, I will say that... Have y'all seen his first short film? Uh,
1: The Wolf Knocking at My Door, right? It was The Close Shave, wasn't it? Oh, Close Shave, yeah. The one previous. Like, um... With Cartel, Right.
0: Yeah, no, I think it was yeah. just one guy shaving his neck, but he decides to absolutely slit it. It's just this hyper realistic gory, but like it's like you shouldn't take that approach. Mm. But he does. And there's just this like hardcore aspect uh to Taxi Driver and Raging Bull that I'm drawn to. Like um one like one of the scripts that I personally wrote was hopefully a homage to um raging bull like the, that aesthetic because mm-hmm. it's 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 very visceral thank you yeah. like if i was going to give it a word it's visceral it's just very to the bone to the point but at the same time very like gritty grindy but then you have casino and goodfellas it's just very flashy and I like both, but if I were to like give or like accept one, I would I, I really want to see more of that Raging Bull from Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, know, I don't know where his career will, will go from here but I really want to see that return to that. Or return to the grit. So I, I for the sake of balance, I'll say Raging Bull. Shh,
1: shh. Nice.
0: But, um, yeah, man, I, I love, well, dude, there, there's no more iconic movie and, and there's probably not a more iconic line, uh, like in any sort of gangster movie, dude. It
1: had probably the, I don't think I've seen a better opening to a film than that before. Like still to this day when I watch it, it gives me chills and I smile. Like it's just so perfect. Cause it, oh, like I remember the first time watching it. The way it opens, they're just driving around in the car and you're like, alright, this is a movie that everybody's talked about. Everybody's told me if you're going to be a filmmaker, even if you like this kind of genre, you need to watch this film. And they're just sitting in a car driving down the road and you're like, alright, interesting. It's a nice shot, it's shot nice, it's lit well. And it's quiet. And then you hear the banging and you're like, oh, they got a flat tire. And then they pull over and they're all just standing at the trunk. And you're like, what the hell? And the trunk opens and Billy Bats is in there and he's covered in blood and Pesci comes up and fucking stabs him and De Niro shoots him like 12 times and then (laughs) Leota just shuts the trunk and he says the line in voiceover like as far back as I can remember I wanted to be a gangster and the music swells and you see like just this beautiful view of Little Italy and the neighborhood that he grew up in South Brooklyn and all the just vibrant color and character just flooding into the film and immediately I understood I went that's why that's exactly why everyone told me to watch it it was like the whole film is amazing in general but the opening is what draws you into that world and makes you want to know what happened beautiful yeah
2: no I mean it's I mean it's like and that's that's one of I think that the intro highlights the rest of the rest of the movie I feel like and especially the editing, you know, I think the editing in this movie is, you know, flawless and, and it's so seamless, you know, the transition from, you know, seeing, um, you know, sort of young Henry Hill from, Ed, from him growing up, you know, and it's done so seamlessly, you know, it's, it doesn't feel rushed or it doesn't feel like we skipped over anything. Like, if you get a good picture of exactly who Henry Hill is, you know, from when he was a kid when he grows up and becomes you know, gangster, you get a really good idea for like what kind of person Henry Hill is and what kind of drove him to make this life decision to be a mobster and so I think that, that, that intro does a great job, you're right of just establishing the mood of the film it, I mean, perfectly
0: No, I mean that's the one thing that any, any filmmaker worth the salt, like, aims for, is just that, obviously, an intention grabber, but there is this ultimate suspension of disbelief that happens with, with the swell of the music. I, I love that you mentioned that, because that is something that I capitalize on with this movie, is just, as soon as the music kicks in, and then you see all, yes, you do see all these colors, and you see the neighborhood, it's like, you you see the predecessors and then people that followed, um, like espe- like especially mob movies. But this holds its ground in such a way that it it romanticizes it um, right off the bat, and in such a a successful way that you can't help but just be glued to your seat. Like really, like um, I don't know, like per like. I can't put into, I can't explicate really formally how, like, I can't tell you an experience. Like, I think that, I think that's what we try to do whenever we try to break down movies, but, like, I really can't break down an experience of just hearing that and seeing that. And and there's this successful suspension of disbelief that even me, like, the first time I watched it, I I couldn't get up. Like I I couldn't get a glass of water. I couldn't I couldn't talk. I wanted to see it and and in, in in its full. And that's and Scorsese does that, f- fantastically. He he, breaks down the the, the life cycle of a mobster. Um, successfully. He has you by the hook the entire time. So, yeah.
1: I loved, uh, I think that part of what made the movie so perfect, in a sense, was his casting choices. Because, like, you, Mr. De Niro's at the top of the hill. He is one of the best ever, best that will ever be. No one can deny that fact. That's who he is. But also when you see, like, uh, young Tommy or young Henry, how well he casts that with the kids. How similar they look and how you could see they would grow into Joe Pesci and Ray Liotta. And also Paul Sorvino as Pauly. Like the presence that he brings where, you know, the line of like, uh, Pauly didn't move fast, but that's because Pauly didn't have to move for anybody. You see that just with the small glimpse of him showing up. He's got his cigar in his mouth and he walks around like they're they're horsing around and he just kind of stands there and everybody stops puts a cigar back in his mouth and he just walks away like he emanates power and it's just this guy wearing a regular shirt smoking a cigar standing in a pizza parlor he's just like quit fucking around pretty much and leaves so he casted unbelievably well and I also love how um how Leota got cast is Leota so this is kind of Leota's bigger film like he'd done a couple of small ones at film festivals. And he had met Marty at um, a film festival. And Marty had seen what he did, and he handed Marty a tape, and he said, this is my acting reel. Marty said, I'll check it out. And a few years down the road, they started developing Goodfellas, and Leota auditioned for it. And for some reason, the casting director was like, I don't don't see it, Marty. Like, I just don't, this is not the guy. And the casting director told a story, he said, I was at dinner with my wife, and Leota happened to be in the restaurant. And he walked up and he said, hey, do you mind if I talk to you for a minute outside? And the casting director said, yeah, sure, Ray, I'll, I'll give you a minute. Because they knew each other. And he said, listen, I know you have opposition to me in this role, but I can, I'm telling you I can do this. This is my part. And the casting director said, I went to the payphone in the restaurant. I called Marty and I said, yeah, you can cast him. And I hung up the phone. Like it was. He was, he was like, this one interaction with him made me be like, all right, you can be Henry Hill then. I can see it. So Leotta was brilliant in that film, and I think that it's a testament to his acting that Henry Hill wrote the cast a letter saying he did a fantastic job portraying me. Because can you imagine the shit show if Henry Hill would have been like, "What the fuck happened with this?" <laughs> 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 no, for real. For real. <laughs>
2: I just kind of find it funny that Joe Pesci's like the exact opposite of Tommy
1: DeVito in real life. Well, Pesci was supposed to play the Paul Sorvino role. Oh, good. He was, yeah. Marty yeah I was not see that, actually. Marty that was like, sense. Joe, I want you to do this. And he's like, I don't want to play that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, I want to play this character. I want to play Tommy. And he's like, no, nah. no, So he said, and I didn't, I didn't know that Joe Pesci was like balding at the time, so his hair is very short. So he's wearing a wig throughout the whole movie. And, you couldn't tell? I, I couldn't tell no. the first few times oh, I watched it. I watched it more, and I'm like, wow, that just looks fake. <laughs> like, is that? And then the next time you watch it, is that fake? And then the next time you're like, yeah, that's, that's definitely fake. Like he said, he said I made a tape. I had my girlfriend at the time film me walking around the pool with a cigar going, "Fuck this motherfucker, fuck that shit." And he's like, I kicked my dog in the pool, and they, and they were like, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> And he showed Uh, it to Marty, and Marty went, fine, Joe, fucking fine. You can play (laughs) that, like, fine, do it. So...
2: Of course, it ended
1: up being the best decision. Yeah. won an Oscar for it. Shortest Oscar speech in history. Thank you. And he leaves. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? Great privilege, thank you. And And everyone's like, oh, okay. okay.
2: That sounds like
0: Joe Pesci. Dude, he... But everything... Like, if he lacked height... He made up for it in, in, in energy.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, dude.
2: Yeah, well I mean, the way that he carried himself, it seemed like he was 6'4". Like, nobody would want to mess around with him. Like, fuck that.
1: Tough bastard. I,
0: I really do think, like, I understand that that's one of the most iconic scenes in, in Goodfellas is, like, we, we, we may mention it. Funny how. Yeah. Like, just, just the <laughs> quiet is just a perfect measure of... Maybe, maybe he
1: wasn't, Ray Liotta wasn't prepared for that. Yeah. Well, he, he definitely wasn't like, uh, so, um, De Niro and Scorsese and Keitel even made mention of this. They grew up, uh, Scorsese and De Niro grew up in little Italy and Keitel grew up in Brooklyn. So they, they knew affiliates, they knew mob life. Like that was just kind of how life went for them. They grew up in like the fifties and the sixties in that area in the seventies. Um, And they were talking about how Pesci grew up in New Jersey, and Joe Pesci is part of the reason why the Four Seasons exist. He knew the mob affiliates, and he was going to be the fifth guy part of the Four Seasons, and he ended up being an actor because nobody thought he could sing. So he knew those guys, and Pesci said uh, they were doing a rehearsal dinner, which is where the scene came about, and... Scorsese likes to do this thing where he tells actors like there's no dialogue in the scene But I want you to improvise something within the realm of the script. I think that's brilliant because that's that, that gives like it shows you how good a director Scorsese is where he's like I've given you a character and Shown you what I want from you. I'm letting you have the freedom as this character to do something and Pesci did this to uh, De Niro I think at the rehearsal dinner they were just kind of fucking around and Marty said, Joe, where, where'd where you come up with that? He said, I saw a wise guy do this to another wise guy. And they were like, oh, really? And he said, yeah. He said, well, don't tell Ray, but we, we should do that for this scene. Joe said, okay. So he led Ray in with the line where he's like, you're funny. And that was supposed to be the end of the script. They were supposed to laugh. And so his reaction is genuine when Joe Pesci's like, funny how? And he's like, like Ray just didn't know. What to, he's like, "Well, you, you fun like the way you. T- what are you talking?" And he's like, no, "No, no, 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 funny how." And everyone's like, "Joe." And he's like, "No, no he's a big boy." <laughs> <laughs> like, Let him talk. <laughs> funny how. Like I'm a fucking clown. I'm here to fucking amuse. I'm funny how. How the fuck am I funny? Well, you, just the way you tell a story. No, I don't know. And you can see it in Leona's face. <laughs> like, like just the build. Like uh... it's, it's comparable to the scene in Wolf of Wall Street where McConaughey's just kind of fucking around. And Leo keeps looking off screen because he's looking at like, Marty like, uh, what? Uh, yeah. And then like he notices like just something behind Pesci's eyes, like a small kind of twinkle and he's like, get the fuck, like that's where that, like, like <laughs> yeah. you're fucking with man. And, <laughs> you got, yeah. yeah. I almost got him. I, I almost got, got him. him. But the most iconic scene in the movie is entirely improvised. Like no. that's, that's acting. <laughs> and that's. No,
0: no, please, please. No, I was just gonna say that's that's Scorsese. Like, we'll we'll get in we'll get into like why I I feel like he's quintessential. Like, we can all just bounce off. But what's up, Titus? Oh,
2: I was just gonna say I also love this scene because I feel like it shows how you know, despite the fact that like you know they're all gangsters and they all put on like this like persona, you know. Like, really deep down, they're all scared as shit, because, like, you know, <laughs> the whole time they know at any moment, any one of these guys could just snap and all of a sudden be like, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to kill you. It's like, it's it's everything is just like, everybody's walking on glass, you know, walking on ice. At any moment, you know, somebody could snap or you say the wrong thing, and I don't know, I loved how that scene also captures that feeling of, like, that uneasiness, you know? They try to act Fucking dead. I mean, that, I feel like that's highlighted, you know, also in the scene with Spider too. Oh um, yeah. Hush, in the
1: foot. <laughs> yeah, nobody. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. just kind of having a good time. And then all of a sudden, bah, 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 bah. but I love the reaction at when he shoots Spider in the foot the first time. They're like, "The fuck is wrong with you? Like, yeah, right, why'd yeah. you shoot him in the foot? We were having a good time." He's like, "Ah, oh, he got shot in the foot. He's mouthing off. Fuck him. Like, oh, you should." Yeah, shut up. And then the next time, when Spider's like, "Why don't you go fuck yourself, Tommy?" and everyone's like, "Ooh," and you can see it in Pesci's character where he's like, "Nobody talks to me like that." Like you can, because he's not laughing. He's just sitting at the table, and then he he fucking shoots him. And then even then, you got the you got Ray Liotta who's like, "He's dead," and they're like, "You got to clean this fucking mess up now." Like it's not. Oh shit, he killed somebody. It's look what you fucking did. We were having a good time. And now there's blood all over the floor. You're cleaning it up. Go get a mop. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, dude. I, just, and it, I agree with that. I like. I
0: agree big time. Like it's, it's a lot of walking on eggshells. It's a lot of like uh, people that you don't expect to die left and right who end up dying. Even the people that are supposed to be untouchable, you just they're they're fucking not really. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that plays. I don't know. Like that just plays even more to Marty's strength. Like he's able to play the, or he's able to evoke these like dynamic characters from from every uh, film and from every actor uh, in 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 these films. Like there's not a single Scorsese film that I'm like, okay, well that he seems a little too little too set in his ways. No, they're always a card every single time there's always angles there's there's always dynamism that is like unparalleled with um, scorsese and um with that i want to say like like he like why to you guys do you think that he is like the pen, like or just uh, one of the forefathers like i really do think that he was was there like writing up the 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 language of film like he was one of the primary Four fathers.
1: He's on the Mount Rushmore, definitely. Yeah, for real. What? <laughs> Why do you think that is? One, it's his ability. Like one, his ability with the camera and what he can see, and just visually how he's like. All right, and then like the the copa scene where he walks, uh, Ray Liotta walks in with Lorraine Bracco, and he leaves his car on the street. That one take where they walk through the restaurant. And into the front of the copa. And they bring a table over for Henry. Just how well that scene is orchestrated, where he's like, it's got to look natural, but it needs to stand out. Mm-hmm. You see that his directing style is just so quick and easy, but also the guy's a genius. Like Nicholas Pelagi was talking about this, where he said, We were, he's like, I was, he was, he said, I was the typist, so I was typing up. And during that scene where De Niro is... uh, Where they decide that he's going to kill Maury. After Maury comes up to him at the Christmas party. And Marty says, write cream down. He's like, what do you mean cream? He's like, just fucking write it down. And Nick said, I didn't realize until later that he was already hearing the music to the scene. While we were filming it. And it's a scene, uh, Sunshine of My Life. Where Bob's at the... He's got a cigarette and he's looking up. And then he looks down and he looks at Pesci, just the subtlety, and then he looks at Maury and Pesci leaves. It's just... That, to me, signified how good a director Marty Scorsese is because he's already like, I can hear the music in the scene, I know exactly how I want it to be lit, and I know how many frames I want to shoot that scene in. His grasp on the dialogue of film and the physicality of it is unlike really any other director I've ever seen, including that of one of my personal heroes, the revered Orson Welles. I think he has a firmer grasp on it than anyone, really. And I think that's what makes him so great.
2: I definitely agree with that. And I think the other thing that makes him so great is um, his vision with like, a few his characters I don't know I think he's he's able to create such believable you know uh, characters and I think it, it clearly you know he I don't know he just has such a clear vision with his actors you know I don't feel like I'm you know there's ever probably been an actor in a Scorsese movie that's like unsure of like what they should do in a scene or you know they're not comfortable or something like you know Scorsese's always got a uh, vision and I think you can see that, you know, like you are talking about with the actors improvising, you know, that's only something that actors do if they feel, like, really comfortable in a movie, or in, with a director, and is able to create that sort of dynamic atmosphere through the way he directs, you know, he makes it to where he's open to having moments of improvisation, and, you know, sort of just moments that happen kind of out of nowhere, and I think that I think that's that's part of the score, you know, uh, uh, you know his style, you know, is that that ability to have scenes that you know can kind of jump up on you out of nowhere, and also his ability to just create characters that are believable, but also really interesting to watch, and and also his ability to um, create characters that are you know that are dynamic, you know, they're not perfect. Dad things about them. I don't know, I think that's always what has made him start, stick out to me, I feel like.
0: I think that the, the level of deliberation that Mike was saying um, is the thing that sticks out with me. I like the... I don't know how, how else to put it other than... Like, if I was going to learn directing from anyone, anyone, it would be Scorsese. Yeah. Like, like genuinely if like I can take notes from tons of different directors on, on style, on aesthetic, on, on narrative. I mean, you have this body of, of works from different directors that are just like, that's that stand out, but just on craft, like if I really had one choice of who I was going to like learn under And just you see that with all the actors too, like they will take cuts and pay to work, like to work with this person. Like they will do thing, they'll do pretty substantial things to to get under the wing of Scorsese because it's it's a wonder to watch him work. It's you cannot throw a curveball at that guy because he's he's prepared for it, and it's and it's that view of it was supposed to happen. Like, again, like that, like that is a perfect, or that was one of the perfect scenes, um, to, to make mention of the, the table being pulled up, um, just, and then on top of that, like you have an array of style, like, uh, style choices that he makes that again, it's like, who am I watching right now? Like, it's not. Like, people stick to their strengths. Like, obviously, the last episode that we, that we, uh, the last director that we explored was Fincher in his style. He, he likes to choose, like, uh, like if there's any tracking shots. Like, he has, there's a lot of tracking shots. There's a lot of stable shots, like, uh, tripod. And then there's hyperimposed, like, uh, visually, of, like, visual effects generated, uh, like, positioning. Mm-hmm. Like geo positioning, like I am in this room. Like he's it's there's spatial reasoning in in, in these shots. But again, that is a cornerstone. You go to uh, fuck Michael Bay. You you can expect explosions. You go yeah straight up. Um, well, you go to Kubrick and you can expect symmetry. Mm-hmm. But where's Scorsese? Like you know you're watching a, a Scorsese film for the act like the acting. The, the grandeur and just the, the, uh, content, mm. it's usually like larger than life, but the style is always evolving. It's always changing. So it, it keeps you on your toes at all points. So you can, you can see pieces that are like signature of Scorsese. Like you see pieces that were like, uh, Marty being whacked, like the lighting and everything, like, uh, the contrast, the image. Or, um, uh, fuck. Billy Batts, is that? Yeah. Um, a lot of the contrast in that, you see a lot of the, the the contrast in, um, Taxi Driver. You see it in, um, shit.
1: Mean Streets. Yeah, yeah. you
0: see a lot of that in Mean Streets. You see a lot of the, uh, Zooms in Mean Streets. Like, all, all I'm saying is, like, the visual language is there, but just how he gets there. It's always interesting, and it's always different. It's it's ever evolving. Like he has tools of the trade that he knows that work, or s- that speak to a specific, um, like that that speak a specific way, or, or 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 come across a specific way. But how he gets there is is just artful. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, if I was gonna learn under anybody, dir- dir- uh, take a directing class, dude, I would want. I would so want to work with that guy, because again, like you give him, you give him the option. It's like uh, I need to get the, our uh, you have two hours to get ten shots. You, I only need one. Yeah. And people laugh at that, but he's just stone cold about yeah. it, and I love him for that. And and I pay homage to that 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 man for that. Many respects to that man for that.
1: All right, we've talked about Marty, now we got to talk about De Niro. No, oh, god. His amount of the amount of detail that he put into this character and how real he made him. Cuz uh the he plays Jimmy Conway in the film and the real character that he's portraying is Jimmy Burke. And they had some trepidation using Burke's name cuz Burke was still at large and very a very prominent figure. He was locked up, but he was still a very prominent figure where everyone was like, you do not want to cross him. Like, it's true what they say in the movie. Like, he was doing hits for the mob when he was 15 years old. Like, to and to a guy like that, where they're like, it's just business to him. It's not, I'm taking someone's life. It's a transaction. You don't piss that guy off. (laughs) So, but... The amount of detail he pays to him, like he, uh, the watch he wears, is the exact make and model of the watch that Jimmy wears. The way he has his money, where it's not in a wallet, it's in a money clip, is how Jimmy carried his money around. But also, just the little stuff, like when they're, when they're having dinner with Marty's mother in the movie. Um, that's, you guys knew about that, right? That the woman who plays Joe Pesci's mother is Martin Scorsese's mother. Really? Yeah, that's Marty's mom. Hey. I love how she approached the film too it was uh, She looked at it like Mar- Marty's making a movie And these are his friends who are helping him make a movie It wasn't Bob Oh my god Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci It was oh hi Bob Hi how are you? I'm good You want to you wanna eat? Sit down and eat But when the scene where he's got the ketchup in his hands He paid so close attention That he asked Nick He said can you talk to Henry And see how Jimmy put ketchup On his eggs what do you mean? He said, "Well, did he hit the back of the bottle? Did he pour it out like this, or did he roll it between his hands?" And he said, "Well, let me ask Henry." And so Nick called Henry, and Henry Hill said, "Oh, he rolled it between his hands." So it's the subtlety in the film where you see Bob; they're just sitting at, they're just eating dinner, but he's got the ketchup and he's rolling it between his hands to get the ketchup out of the bottle because that's what his character does. The amount of. Just it's a testament to Robert De Niro's acting. I think that that is arguably top five of the roles he's played throughout his career. That's probably number three. Jimmy Conway was brilliant, and the the way he interacts with the other characters, especially his chemistry with Pesci, is absolutely like you can't find a better duo anywhere. They're the best. Oh no,
0: yeah. No, I like I, I again that guy such an all-star cast under such a visionary mind for real. Um, because it's not just rolling the ketchup. Like it really isn't. It's how he uses his hands. It's how he goes about um, like what is it? Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do it. Do it. Uh, you can tell a lot about a person or about an animal, about how, like, in the way that it eats. <laughs> it, it, um, yeah, no, like, you really can. And uh, just in that, it's, how does he, like, it, that is, uh, reveals, like, how, how I'm gonna hold a gun. Like, it's, it's just, those subtleties, again, only add to the suspension of disbelief, but they're also symbolic to what this, how this person operates. So even to the subtlest detail, and that, and I do real, I do recognize that with, with De Niro, I mean he's very meticulous. Like everybody thinks like high strung, but bro, meticulous is the better word. But Titus,
1: De Niro or not, De Niro, you got it, yes. Yeah, yeah, De Niro. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I would... Yeah. Well, sorry. I would say that I can't imagine, like,
2: a single role in this movie being cast differently. Like, even, like, the smaller roles, whether it be, like, Samuel Jackson's role in the movie, which, I mean, it's small, but... I still can't imagine, like... Him not being in the movie, or, or you know Spider being cast differently, you know. Um, I mean, it's just it's definitely probably one of the best cast movies of all time. I would say. I mean, and especially Karen. Karen, Karen is so good in this movie. I love I love Karen. She's because you you see her start out as kind of like innocent and sweet eyed, and then as the movie goes along, you you see her relationship between her and Henry just kind of deteriorate and become, like, worse and worse as the movie goes along, and I don't know, I just, it's very entertaining to watch, and I gotta say, one of the best scenes in the movie that I always feel like gets overlooked is the scene when Karen and Henry are at the prison, and they're talking to each other, Um, you know, and she's talking about smuggling stuff in for them. And she starts, like, throwing it around, and like, and he's kind of like, no, stop, stop, like, stop doing that, like, you need to stop, and he's, and she's like, what, you want me to stop fucking smuggling in the drugs, and, like, all the kids are crying, and that scene is just so, like, it's intense, you know, because you're like, oh, man, this is really, it's it's on the rocks, you know, it's, and, um, yeah, it's just really interesting to watch, so I, I also gotta say that Karen is, she's fantastic, Lorraine Rocco is really good as Karen, she does a fantastic job especially in that scene in particular I feel
1: like I think what solidified her position in that movie is when he takes her back home after he picks her up and that guy had like been trying to feel her up and she was like I hit him and she's crying and he says go inside and he gets out of his car and he tucks his gun into his belt and he walks across the street and the guy's like what do you want fuck up and he beats the shit out of him like he pistol whips him in the face and then he walks up to her and he goes, hide this. And she's like, I can't lie. That really turned me on. No. <laughs> like, the, just the draw of her to Henry is just, like, whatever it became, it started out as just pure attraction, pure kind of mutual admiration where she'd never seen anyone do like, that, do something like that for her. And he'd never had a woman pull up to his place of work and be like, who the fuck do you think you are standing me up? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, hey, and all his friends are around like, yeah, Henry, what's wrong with you? How could you stand this woman up? And he's like, listen, I thought you were going to stand me up. I'll take you out tomorrow night. Like, I, I'm sorry. Like, he never had someone do that to him. And I think that it shows how their relationship builds. Like, she was brilliant in it. And I, I love BIA, the the... How she said, Marty, listen, so this is another fun fact. The guys in the movie, the money that they have every time they pull money out of a briefcase, it's real money. Yeah, so they had like millions of dollars on set. Are you serious? Yeah, they had millions of dollars on set. Like when he's got like stacks of $100 bills in his waist and he pulls them out, that's real money. And so she said, Marty, if they're going to have real money, I want real jewelry. So Marty said, sure, you want it? So all the jewelry she's wearing, all the diamonds, all the gold, it's real. Oh! The pearls and everything, it's all real. I was like, oh my god, that's fucking awesome.
0: (laughs) No, um, that's freaking awesome, dude. Um, I just like how, like, she becomes, like, so quickly an active participant. Like, she's just on board. Like, the minute she took the gun everything else was downhill like and and it's only a testament to the smuggling thing like all right, i'm going to smuggle this like i smuggled your drugs all this sh-. like it just pay like it just goes to show just how much of an active participant it, it, she is and so active that it's not only like visual through the obvious actions and dialogue but just like you mentioned deterioration I'll go so far as to say the caking on of makeup. The more makeup is added, the more deterioration. We start to see, <laughs> we start to see the degradation of Karen, like, just over the course, like, at first she makes fun of these chicks that are just, like, absolutely covered in, and, and uh, bludgeoned with, and then it eventually becomes her. Mm-hmm. Like, there, you see an act of deterioration. And on top of that, you, you just see it overall. Like, you see the melting house. Um, I don't know, like, I, God, that's, that's so universal. Like, if you think on it, like, like you ever hear that term more money, more problems? Mm-hmm. Constantly. Oh yeah. Nah. Um, so that's why, that, that's why we don't have these problems.
1: We stay broke and no problems. It's okay. <laughs> That's right. we have different problems <laughs> <laughs> no so oh, i'm sorry you have so much money you don't know how to spend it, oh, it sounds like such a fucking travesty no, so, yeah while i sit uh, yeah while i sit here and drink four dollar jack <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow no. <laughs> no no for um but it but in reality like like you can sit you consistently see and, and on top of that with with lee uh Leota, like, the makeup is one of the most underrated things it, that I was, like, that I regarded watching it at, like, this recent time is, like, just how, how fucking, like, dead he looks by the end of the, oh, yeah. like, by the end of the film, how, how dead he looks and how vastly different, uh, how vastly different an animal Karen is from the beginning. Like, like you, you see this debutante, like, natural belle of Little Italy turn into just like tracksuit, <laughs> uh, Cake Dawn, Avon, um,
1: coke so, up one nostril. Just, yeah. Yeah.
0: And it goes from like a simple house and in, in the neighborhood to, Oh, I have this designer and I like, it's just more money to throw at. And eventually you had money and then it starts to turn into debt. So again, it's just
1: beautiful life cycle of a gangster. I, When he's in prison, something that I, I loved was, they said, they, everybody on set was like, this is not what prison was like for those guys, but when he's like, he goes down to the kitchen, and he's bringing lobsters and shit back to the room, I was like, is that what prison is like for fucking mafiosos? They got lobster, they're eating better than half the people outside, like, holy shit, and they were like, so... They were very clear about it. They were like, it wasn't exactly like that. Like, we didn't have our own, like, suite in the prisons. We didn't have, like, access to our own kitchen. But we were fed better. We were able to get stuff on the outside. that guys inside weren't normally able to get. But I kind of love how Henry's doing well. Like, he's eating lobster and everything. And then you notice when all the Italians leave, like all the maid guys. Because Henry can't get maid because he's half Irish. When they leave... Then he starts to struggle. Like you can see, like, you see the disconnect where he's not a good fella. He's just an associate. He's a guy who works with them and makes them a lot of money. Because when they leave and they get released, he starts peddling pills more and he starts having Karen bring in, like, bread and meat and things. And then you kind of start to realize, oh, he can't get that stuff anymore because all the maid guys are gone. And I love, that's illustrated more when he walks up to Polly after he gets busted for drugs. He's like, "Polly, I'm sorry. Like, I know you told me no drugs, but I need your help. And Polly says, okay. And he pulls out $3,000, which would be $1,000 for every 10 years. He was, he made him money, handed it to him and said, now nah, I got to turn my back on you. And Henry even says it. He's like, $3,000 for 30 years. And the very next scene, they're discussing his witness production. Like, it, I love that contrast of, like, he's not an Italian. He's not really one of the guys. As much money as he made them, when he really gets in trouble, they're like, well, you're not a made guy, so fuck you. You disobeyed. You're out. You're gone. And I think that I don't know the 100% the facts behind Henry Hill's real case. I do know that they portrayed it very accurately in the film. But it made sense to me why he turned on all those guys. They killed, they killed his best friend. They, they made him so broke that he went out and started selling coke. And when he gets busted, they're like, well, he's not actually one of us, so we're not going to help him. Yeah, I, I sympathize with why he did what he did. I understood it. I understood why he was like, he runs this, he runs that. Like, fuck all these guys then. I understood it. It made sense.
0: Do you agree with that sentiment?
2: i agree with that sentiment. I feel, I feel that it's pretty um, accurate. And, and, I mean, historically, too, I mean, like the real-life Henry Hill, he, you know, in interviews, he always talked about how he never, like felt like he fit in like you know he in interviews he always was talking about how you know the guys in the mob would do all this crazy shit and a lot of time he would like sit there and watch it and he would just be like what the fuck am i doing here like why like like i don't this doesn't feel right you know and i mean of course I'm, i'm sure you know um henry hill unfortunately probably was involved in some of the you know messed up stuff that they did but I do feel like a lot of time he didn't you know, like agree with a lot of the code or the practices that went down um, in this life. And that's why he tried to run away multiple times. I mean, historically, of course, in the movie he does it, but actually in real life, he tries, he tries to leave multiple times. And so I think that it is cool that in the movie they actually managed to kind of get that to come across with the way that um, Henry Hill in the movie doesn't... Like, it feels like he never, like, fully clicks in, you know, especially towards the end when he finally starts to, like, realize, like, this isn't for him, you know, this isn't the life that he wants. So yeah, I definitely agree with that, Simon.
0: Uh, What a... I don't know. That was... the big thing for me is just how well you portrayed the, the, the life cycle of a mobster. Because, like, again, as much of it, as much as it's glitz and glamour and and cocaine and, and lawlessness and just shoot them up, there's not a single movie where I haven't seen the, like, the beacon of all that just fucking get whacked in the worst way. In the worst way. Bronx Tale. Oh, yeah. Godfather 3. Godfather what? Oh, yeah. We're waiting on on the recovery. We're waiting on the recovery, Coppola. Uh,
1: But, no. um, I don't, like, again. uh, Just the ultimate fall. Like, you see it with a lot of the stories that he tells. Like, it's so lavish. And then you kind of realize, like, through their own hubris, they let it, come crashing down. It's almost like they want it to come crashing down. They've ridden high for so long, they're like, this can't last. Like Wolf of Wall Street, you see it. You see it where he's got all these parties and everything, and then you kind of see him, like when when his yacht sinks, he's kind of like, it's time to walk away. And then by then it's too late, they've got him. They're like, hey, guess what? We found out you were fucking embezzling, so now we're arresting you. With casino, you see it. They put so much money into it, and they were taking so much money away that, like, you see uh, the character of Nicky. He just he owns the town, and ultimately he causes problems because he thinks that he should be a boss. And they're like, "Well, nope," and they kill him. And then you see it with Henry Hill. He's riding high for so long with a heist. Like, like we got to talk about the heist. We totally forgot. Like that is a like we'll we'll come back to that. But the heist that he pulled off stuff he helped organize, how much money he made them. And ultimately he left out in the cold where they're like, you're not supposed to be dealing drugs. And he's like, well, I need it. Like, I'm not making any money with you guys. This is my only avenue left. So ultimately, it's almost like he wanted to get caught. Where he's like, he's doing the one thing where the DEA will get to him and the mob will completely abandon him. Like... It's like, he wants to be, it's like he wants to be caught. And it's, it's not apparent in the film because he's so devastated when he is caught. Where he's like, if that had been a wise guy, I'd have been dead. Thank God it was the cops. Like, thank God they caught me first. But you see just how hopeless and helpless he feels throughout that whole sequence. Like when he's being followed by the helicopter. Like he knew when he got up that morning. He was like, I took the guns to Jimmy. He didn't want them. I took them to another guy. But this whole time, is a helicopter following me around. I have to go shopping with my wife to throw him off. He's trying to juggle his family life. Like, it all is just a clusterfuck. And it all comes crashing down. Yeah.
2: Well, then you want to talk about the ice? Or- oh,
1: we got to talk about... Uh, not just... Uh, Leftanes is the one that Burke pulled off, right? Where he hears... a Yeah, Lufthansa. Where I love that sequence of the movie with De Niro. Where all... He tells... The one thing he tells all these guys who want to... He's like, when you get the money, don't fucking spend any of it. And these guys are coming back with mink coats and a pink Cadillac. And he's like... He's losing his mind. He's like, what the fuck did I tell you? Don't spend any of the money. We're going to get caught. And then he's got Maury who's bugging him and bugging him and bugging him and Henry's like Maury Jimmy's gonna fucking kill you relax he's gonna give you the, gonna give you your money and by then it's too late De Niro's character's like you know what screw it let's kill all of them and I'm gonna keep the money for myself and he does it like you have uh, Frankie Carbone he's on a meat hook in a fucking truck he kills Maury with an ice pick in the back of his own car he shoots uh Fat Tony and his wife and their pink Cadillac, like, he just, he cleans house. He's like, fuck it, kill them all. And Tommy's like, all right, I got you. But I also like uh, the symbolism of Billy Bats, where when they dig up his body, like, you see, like, this red glow, and it's almost like the sun is setting on them. It's like, that, that is ultimately what led to the demise of everybody, is they killed Bats without permission. Which is another thing Scorsese does in his movies that I think is brilliant. He illustrates the rules of that world. Where he's like, this is how this works. And, you know, when they killed Tommy, you kind of see the justification in it. Where it's like, yeah, they shouldn't have done that. And this is, well, they're being paid back. But I also found it interesting that they they killed the one actual Italian guy. They didn't go after the half-Irish dudes. They were like, "Well, let him be." But this one Italian guy will kill him. They knew it would hurt more. Yep, that's true.
2: Would Would you say that Goodfellas is the greatest gangster movie of all time?
1: You You go ahead. Oh God, damn it! No, you gotta give me a minute. I mean, greatest just of all curious. time. Justin and the Italian Mafia, or crime as a whole.
2: Well, you know what I'm talking about, like gangster movies, you know, like the kind of, you know, like your Bronx Tale sort of thing, you know You i talking about? Like, yeah, sort of Goodfellas, Bronx Tale. I
1: think know, that like, Goodfellas is probably um, one of the most accurate ones, but I still think that the best one is Godfather 2. Okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to stick to my guns. Godfather 2. Yeah.
1: No, I agree with you. How about you, Titus? What do you think?
2: I mean, me personally, I would say that, I mean, for the sole reason of, like, its uh, cultural, like, importance, I guess, I would say Goodfellas. Because I just feel like Goodfellas was, like, so, uh, it was just so important in, like, setting the way, or, you know, like, setting up the, the path for, like, or other gangster movies and and I mean of course Godfather did the same thing you know Godfather made you know the mafia you know really popular but I think that Godfather is just iconic in like it's iconography and like the and the you know and the characters like you know everybody knows the characters in Goodfellas and I just feel like they're just they're, they're almost like a part of like American culture, you know, in an interesting way. Like Goodfellas is like a part of, like the you know, with the um, with the cars and you know the life and everything. I don't know. I just feel like Goodfellas has also had kind of like a big cultural impact in the movie scene as well. So, but uh, I don't know. I mean, it's tough though. It is really tough. So I don't say I don't say that lightly. Like I'd say mm-hmm. like, you know it's a, it's a tough pick for sure because there's a lot of really great gangster.
1: And I think that with this podcast, we've just barely scratched the tip of what Martin Scorsese is. So, yeah. I can't wait for other films of his that we're going to watch. Some the Irish. I like that movie.
2: <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, fuck it.
1: I do like it. I didn't like it the first time I watched it, but that's because I watched it in theaters and was not prepared for like this epic tale. It's almost four hours long. But I, that's the, a I, The more I've watched it, the more I enjoy it. I fucking love that movie. It's awesome. The more
0: you've watched it. Oh, man. Anyway.
1: Uh, um, it's
0: a whole a day endeavor, but... Sorry. <laughs> respect.
1: Respect. <laughs> nah. No. I mean, you're not wrong.
2: You're not wrong. I mean,
1: but... It was a worthy you one. Know, it was worth how
2: one. long has the Irish been? Like three hours? In,
1: three hours and 43 minutes, I think.
2: No
1: way! It's not that long. I think so. Yeah. No, it's it's that it's pretty, long. It's pretty lengthy. It's a good movie, and I think it's one of the most accurate depictions of that life. But it's a very long film. Not to mention the fact that it's not true. That's not what happened. But yep, it's definitely
2: not like super historically accurate. But I don't know. But oh, getting yeah, sidetracked. But uh. I don't
1: know. Anyway. Good pick. Good pick. Thank you. Thank you. Great pick. Good pick. Thank you. Do we have any news this week? Anything going on? Uh, <laughs> do not know.
0: Um Man it's been it's been kinda of dark. Yeah. Unless you unless
1: you had something. You got something,
2: T? Oh, going to say, uh, y'all, people listening to the podcast, y'all should check out on Thinking of Ending Things. It's a very good movie. That's all. Yeah. It's, it's a very weird movie, so just be prepared for that. It's a good one. Unfortunately, I probably won't get a lot of uh, talk just because it is such a weird movie, but, but it's a good one, for sure. It's on Netflix, so
0: I'm personally gonna check out The Devil All the Time.
1: That's a good one, actually. Really, I watched it. Yeah, lengthy, but it's very good. Mm. Well, solid performances.
0: Yes. Um, not really, not really, not not film film news. I mean, which I feel
2: like is kind of a good way in a little bit because I feel like a lot of the film news we've been getting recently hasn't been great. Yeah, (laughs) it's been a lot of sad stuff.
0: I mean, the only other film news that I know of is that, apparently, to be on television, it takes like $70,000 to do your fucking hair, so... (laughs) I mean, there is that. There is definitely that. So now we have an
1: estimate. So... Just to do your hair? Yeah, just to do your hair. Okay, we're gonna be broke forever. (laughs) God
0: damn. No, I... Yeah, and still you, you still end up paying only 7 for 50 for your tax return. and taxes. <laughs> yeah, alright. Great. <laughs> I, before we get I'm not gonna get, I'm, I promise, I, I made a he promise. You saved it till the end. No, 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 no. I signed a contract with Mike here that
1: I would not get political, but yeah, I just but thought it.
2: I don't fucking contract. <laughs>
1: I, I you signed a contract with me? Where did it go? I ate it. I ate it with ketchup and
0: it was good. You it was, roll it out? I little, yeah, I did that little rolling thing. <laughs> <laughs> but no. I some
2: gabagool,
0: eh? Nah, but, um. Uh, yeah, I, I. I don't know. With, what with the fuck with is
2: gabagool?
0: Delicious. <laughs> oh anyway um with that being said uh i mean no news could be good news on the on the front that hey man it's anybody's game these days like if, knock on wood yeah if, if you want if if you want to film go film because the opportunities are out there right now i mean if you can have a bunch of 11 year olds twerking and still stand a chance at sundance I mean, anything. It's up in the air. It really is up in the air. You so, really need
1: to clarify that. Yeah. People who don't know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. Um. Oh, uh, cuties. Yeah. yeah. If that if that can make it to Netflix, then you know what, dude? Why not? put... We're not it? encouraging that. No, we I are just not. No, disclaimer: We are not encouraging that. But if we were encouraging anything, put man man bites dog on there, please. <laughs> if you're gonna put that out there, let's let's see a classic. <laughs> Oh, wow. We waited until this point to be crash and burn. So, with that (laughs) being said, ladies Uh, and. Fucking A. Ladies and gents, if you want to film, go film. There is literally no fucking reason not to film besides COVID. What
1: you're illustrating is that anything goes. Anything goes. You can film just about anything and it'll be serious. Just don't
2: make a fucking film like cuties.
1: Yeah. Please. Please.
0: Don't. Please don't. Anyway. You, that made that goddamn movie. They the, to be
2: locked up. What the fuck? If,
0: if, if you're still listening at this point, uh, <laughs> God forbid. Um, they're just waiting for what, the pick of the week. They're like, like okay, <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is getting a little iffy. Uh, before we get any spicier, what is the pick of the week and who is? Whose turn?
1: I think it's Titus.
0: It's, it's Titus. Titus.
1: it's your turn, right? Oh. oh, oh, oh. What are we watching,
2: Arrival. That's going to be my recommendation. All right. Directed by Mr. Dennis Villeneuve. Um, you know, it's it's uh, I think it's a movie that unfortunately didn't get talked about as much as it should have. Cuz I think it's it has a really powerful message delivered in a brilliant way. But,
1: yeah. Hey hey. And also we'd like to take a vote with our uh, our listeners. Um if we had just a separate podcast of Marciano ranting about the politics of film, I want to know how many people would listen in. Because I'd listen to that podcast. It's already one vote, four. I'd listen to it, too. I'd listen to it. That's two votes, Marcy. It's two votes. Two,
2: two versus one. Looks like you gotta make it.
1: God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: gonna be called the Gabagool, podcast.
1: It's <laughs> the Gabagool. No, but seriously. <laughs> but seriously, at some point we... You gotta get very political with this, because there's some shit that you've said to me in private where I'm like, oh, people should hear that. Yeah! No, not necessarily, but, well, I mean, we're gonna wait and see. I'm sure he's gonna find something to dig out of it, but. Oh, yes. I've heard things. I heard things. I've heard things.
0: Yeah, so. You know, everybody
1: tells me that. Everybody says that sentence. It's not that political, but then you get the side glance. I remember watching Lion King with you, and I was like, "Shut up, just <laughs> please, please." You see the internal power struggle here between the two. Just shut up. Let me watch the lion sing. This actually
2: commentary on social. good.
1: Good God, man! I could watch Teletubbies with you, and you'd be like, "This is a." allegory for Marxism and some people like, for fuck's sake. I like
2: that, though. I like that. That's what it's all about, baby. Finding that deeper shit, you know?
0: Yeah. 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 With that being said, <laughs> with that being said, if you're still listening, thank you for listening. We, this has been another episode of The Sled. I am
1: Marciano Zapien. I'm Michael Luciano.
2: And um, i
1: He's a new one. (sighs) And have a good night. Thank you for listening. Have a good night. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. See you later.